Okay. Um, good to see all you guys out tonight. I tried really hard not to preach this sermon today. Uh, I told the morning congregation, I've never really had this experience before where I tried so hard to suppress what was in my heart and suppress what I really thought the Lord was saying to me. Adam is a good brother, gives me good counsel. And he saw me a couple times this week. He had the misfortune of being around me a couple times this week. And uh, he saw I was a little worked up. And so we talked about various things. And, and we, both, we both decided it would be good for me to continue, just go through First John chapter 3, you know, not really worry about what I was worked up about, but just, just go ahead and preach First uh, John chapter 3, 10 through 18. It's the next set of verses in our series. And I said, that's what we'll do. And uh, I was... I meant, I meant that when I said it, but in the wee hours Friday morning, the Lord woke me up and He said, well, why don't you preach what I want you to preach? Why don't you preach what you know I've put in your heart to preach? Why are you unwilling to preach what I tell you to preach? And you know, when you hear Him in your spirit like that, there's only one thing to do, and that's to say, yes, I will. I will. I'll preach what you want me to preach. <clears throat> I, uh, as your pastor, I am painfully aware of my many failings and shortcomings, and I'm sure that you're aware of many of them as well. In fact, some of you are so kind as to point them out to me, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, but I think if I have one strength, if I have one strength, it would be that, that I really believe this. I really believe this is the Word of God. I really do. And, and it moves me. It moves me and it stirs me. He's there. You know it. And He's beautiful. And if He is who He says He is, if He's done what He says He's done, and, and He's going to do what He says He's going to do, then He's more important than anything else on the planet. He's more important than your job. He's more important than your prosperity. He's more important than your security. He's more important than your family. And He's more important than your health. He's more important than your life. If you're really understanding what this Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand what I'm saying. He's the most important thing in our lives. And I confess that's how it is with me. That's how it is with me. I And some most of you are painfully, painfully aware that, that sometimes this passion I have for Him spills out all, all over the place when I'm preaching. And I think many times that's misunderstood and misinterpreted. I think most moderns would rather hear, hear from somebody like Dr. Phil than to hear from somebody like me. Somebody with his demeanor. I don't know if you all know who Dr. Phil is. If you don't know, you don't need to know. So don't, don't concern yourself. But sometimes I wish I could be more like that. And maybe, maybe I wouldn't get so worked up. But here's the bottom line. I am in awe of Christ and I love Him. I love Him. And I can't help myself. I can't restrain myself. I've tried to no avail. So I've stopped trying. So there's my disclaimer. If I get excited tonight, that's my disclaimer. Okay? That's my disclaimer. I've shared with you uh, several times... Uh, in, in the past, that I'll sometimes sit behind my desk and crunch the numbers on the International Church of Milan, which is sometimes a huge mistake. 
Uh, that's what I did the first part of this week, actually. And I, I had one of those epiphanies. It was one of those, those moments where I actually saw it, what people have been saying to me for four years, this is impossible. What you're trying to do here is impossible. Not is it just improbable, it's most likely impossible. And I really saw it. I saw it. I, I saw that we are indeed a long shot operation. And I've told you before that we are a pathetic operation in the eyes of the world. Right? I mean, we're nothing in the eyes of the world. And, and I, take, I, take, uh, I take encouragement from that. Why would I take encouragement from that? You know what I'm talking about. What is, who, who does God use? Does He use the strong thing or does He use the weak thing? He uses the weak thing. What? To shame the strong. And if, and if, uh, if, if, if we don't meet the qualifications for the weak thing, I don't know who does. So sometimes, actually, the fact that the world thinks we're nothing, that's encouraging to me because we're qualified to be used of God in that regard. We're qualified in that regard, at least, to be used of God. So why does God use the weak thing? Anybody remember? <laughs> that no man would boast. No man would boast. And I will say this to you. When you crunch the numbers of the International Church of Milan, there's not much to boast about. Not much to boast about. But our boast is God. He is God. He's sovereign. He's supreme. He's almighty. And I'm going to take just one minute and I'm going to read what God says about Himself from Isaiah 40 to 46. I'm just going to take some selected verses. Uh, so you're not going to be able to follow me. I'm just going to take a few selected verses. Here's our boast. God says, To whom then will you liken me that I should be His equal? I am the first and with the last. I am He. I am the Lord. That is My name. Before Me there was no God formed and there will be none after Me. I am God. Even from eternity I am He. There is none who can deliver out of My hand. I am the Lord. There is none other. Besides Me there is no God. There is no one beside Me. There is no other God besides Me. There is none except Me, a righteous God. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like Me. I declare the end from the beginning and I will accomplish all My good pleasure. I love the, those chapters where God says, I'm God and nobody else is. I love that. I love those chapters in, in Isaiah. And you know what the psalmist says? The psalmist says, he does whatever He pleases. Our God is supreme. He's sovereign. Paul said it like this. He works all things after the counsel of His will. Daniel said he, uh, that none can stay His hand. And you know what, what, what John wrote in Revelation 3. I've mentioned it to you many times. That God opens doors that no man can shut. He's our boast. This beautiful, awesome, fearsome, incomparable, untamable, irrepressible, unstoppable God is our boast. Jehovah is our boast. We have no boast other than Him. And I woke up Friday morning and I told the morning congregations I, I was at the Red Sea with the, with, with the Old Testament Exodus Jews and thinking, why, why, am I, why is this on my mind, Lord? Why are you putting this on my mind? So I went and read the text. I went and read the text and you remember the story you know, the Jews were backed up against the Red Sea and the, the Egyptians were bearing down on them. And, and I thought how pathetic they were. You know? 
How pathetic they were in the eyes of the Egyptians. This is a joke. This is a slaughter. This is like shooting fish in a barrel. And God says, and I love this, God says, why are you crying to me? Do you remember this? God says, why are you crying to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. You remember that great text? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. I love that. I love this about our God. This is God's immutable mindset. He's always calling His people forward. Always to bigger obedience. Always to the bigger adventure. Always to the bigger mission. Always. We're never in retreat, ever. You never see God's people in retreat if they're obeying Him and if they're following Him. When you read the Scriptures, you never see God's people in retreat, ever. If, in fact, they are obeying Him and they are following Him. Because what happens when God's people obey Him and they trust Him and they act? What happens? Every time in the Bible, what happens? God shows up. Every single time. God shows up. And He unleashes His divine power. God's divine power is one act of obedience away. You ever thought about it like that? I love to think about it like that. God's divine power in our life and in our church is one act of obedience away. I love that. The thing we see about God in the Bible, He's poised. It's like He's like a sprinter in the starting blocks. He's poised. He's just waiting for us to believe Him and trust Him and act. And He releases all that power in His right arm and right hand. The omnipotent power of God is released in behalf of and in defense of His people. He never fails. He never fails to deliver. He never fails to deliver. The Jews were a joke. I'm sure the Egyptians were laughing at them as they, they, they went down in there. And followed them through the Red Sea. But it, wasn't, it was the Egyptians who ended up floating face down that day in the Red Sea, right? It wasn't the pathetic Jews. It was the Egyptians that ended up floating face down. And I love Exodus 14.31. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed. They feared the Lord. And they believed. What did they do next? Does anybody, does anybody remember what they did next? They worshipped. I'm just going to share a couple of selected verses with you from Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise Him and I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. Thy right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. And in the greatness of Thy excellence, You overthrow those who rise up against Thee. Who is like Thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like Thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Working wonders. This is always God's pattern. Certainly God could do Uh, unleash His omnipotent power without the obedience of His people. But this is always the biblical pattern. God releases His omnipotent power in the obedience of His people. This is how He always works. The people had to obey. Moses had to stand and face the Red Sea and hold out his staff. And the people had to begin to prepare to move out and go forward. 
And when they did, God opened up the Red Sea. And you know what the text says. It says, And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land. This is what God does when His people obey Him and they trust Him. It's a great movie I love to watch. I know probably many of you have seen it. Um, it makes me cry every time. And I watch it a lot. I watch it too much probably. Um, I watched it a couple times while Karen was gone because she gets tired of me watching it all the time. Uh, Facing the Giants. How many of you have seen Facing the Giants? I love this movie. And the main character, there's a guy. He's facing what seems to be insurmountable problems. And uh, an older man comes alongside of him to give him counsel. And the older man tells him uh, about two farmers who needed rain. And uh, both the farmers were, were asking God for rain, but only one of the farmers went out and prepared his field for the rain. And the old man asked the young man, he said, who do you think really believed God was going to send rain? And the young man said, of course, the, the man that prepared his field. And the old man said, you need to prepare your field and God will send the rain when He's ready. I love that story. I love that story. God will send the rain when He's ready. And all those insurmountable obstacles that were in this man's life, they were still there. Nothing had changed, but he got up the next day and in faith he began to prepare his field to receive the miracle of God. Let me ask you, brother. And let me just ask you personally, are you preparing your field? Are you preparing your field to receive God's reign? Are you obeying Him right now today in everything you know He says for you to do? I love that story. And that's what this sermon is about. ICM needs God's reign. The International Church of Milan, we need God's miracle. And we are not properly preparing our field to receive it. We are not getting ready to go forward with God. Last fall we did seven sermons on the vision we believe God has given us. Uh, Adam is working on it right now to get it in the right format so we can put them on the website or at least link from the website to these sermons because I want them to be out there and I want you to go visit them on occasion and I want you to understand why this church exists, why we exist, what we're here to do. I told the morning congregation, I, I'm not content to just be another sleepy little international church. I'm not content to do that, just to limp along and survive one more year. I'm not content to do that. I find that repugnant to even think like that, that we're just here to, to survive one more year. <laughs> no, that's not what God has called us here to do. God has called us here to do the impossible. That's why we're here. We're here to do the impossible. If we think we're here to do anything less than that, then I don't think we've really caught a glimpse of God. And I don't think we're hearing what He's saying to us from the Scriptures. What are the four things that principally we're here to do as a church? Just by way of review very quickly, we're here to establish the International Church of Milan as viable and financially self-supporting. Number two, to initiate Italian ministries and ultimately plant Italian churches, sister Italian churches. Number three, to reach out to poor third world immigrants in Milano and to bring them into the International Church of Milan or to help them plant their own church. Number four, to establish a significant mercy ministry to the impoverished 
in this area. You say, well, Jim, how can transient internationals from all over the world, from all different denominations, um, with all different kinds of worship styles, all different races, come together and actually do that? And what I would say to you is there's no way we can do these things. It is impossible. It's impossible. Unless we prepare a field for, for God's reign. Unless we're preparing right now, today, right now, today, for God's reign and for God's miracle. What happens when God's people refuse to go forward? Anybody, can anybody think of an Old Testament example? I've preached it several times in this church because it's a, it's a solemn warning for all of us who profess to be Christians. Kadesh Barnea, you know the story. God says, it's a done deal. You go get it. Your vision of the promised land, it's the vision I planted in your hearts hundreds of years ago. I'm going to give it to you. All you have to do is go get it. What did the Jews do? They wouldn't go in. They wouldn't trust God, remember? They didn't believe Him. You know, they didn't believe He was God enough to deliver on His promises. And they backed away. They backed away. They would not go in. They would not go in. And they lost the promised land. And God judged them. Friends, this is, this is the biblical pattern. God's not going to give them the promised land if they don't have enough gumption to get up and go take it. This is the way God is with His people. He's not just going to throw it in our lap. We're going to have to work. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to give. We're going to have to want it. We're going to have to want to go forward with God. If we don't, our vision is a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. You know, we're praying. We're praying for miracles. But what I sense... Church, beloved, and I want to say this to you, what I sense is we're not really preparing our field for God to come down. I don't believe that we are. That's my sense of it anyway. That's my sense of it. I told you last fall that in our vision sermon series that we have to be a God-captivated people to do what He's called us to do. We have to be a God-enthralled people. We have to be a God-enamored people to be able to accomplish what God has co uh, called us to accomplish. And you remember, I gave you that example of, of Exodus 35. You remember what happened in Exodus 35? God commanded the people to bring in an offering. You remember? You remember? We talked about this. God commanded the people to bring in an offering. And the thing you see over and over in Exodus 35, you see it about six or eight times. The people's hearts were stirred. The people's hearts were moved. The people's hearts were willing. The spirit of the people was moved. And they brought in a huge offering. And what did, what did Moses have to do? Moses said, stop bringing anything more in. We have too much. And I told you back then last fall that that's what Christian giving is supposed to look like. That's what Christian giving is supposed to look like. Moses said, stop bringing in. And the text says that they had to be restrained from bringing in those offerings.
And I told you if I did my job, if I preached God accurately and correctly, and we got Him up in our minds and in our hearts, and if you were pouring over the Scriptures, we would be moved and we would be stirred and we would be willing to be like those Jews in Exodus 35 and we would bring in the offering. And I would have to stand up here one day and say, stop bringing your offerings. We have too much. But what I want to say to you is, Today is not that day. Today is not that day. Friends, we've got to be like these crazy Macedonians. You remember these crazy Macedonians. You remember what Paul says? I'm just going to turn quickly to 2 Corinthians 8.1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Listen to this, verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I'm sure none of us in this room are completely impoverished. Now, I'm sure some of the students are barely making it. And I understand that and I respect that. But I don't think any of us are impoverished. But listen to these crazy Macedonians. Out of their poverty they gave with liberality. And Paul goes on in verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Friends, we need to be like those crazy Macedonians. If we're not like these crazy Macedonians, we're not going to survive. I just want to tell you, the International Church of Milan will not survive. We simply will not survive if we don't learn how to give like those Macedonians. I'm not going to get into uh, all the, the numbers here, but I am going to start publishing the numbers so you guys know exactly where we are financially. Suffice to say, at this point, we're receiving about half what we need. We're receiving about 50% of what we need uh, for all the expenses of this church. And we don't have an immediate cash flow problem. Um, and you know why we don't? Obviously because of God. And because of the faithfulness and sacrifice of those who went before us. That's why. Right now, we are surviving on the faithfulness and the sacrifice of those those who sowed abundantly and went before us. That's how we're surviving right now. So we don't have an immediate cash flow problem. And I'm thankful for that. And I want to say to you, this is not about cash flow. It's about what our cash flow says about how we see God and how we love God and how we adore God and how we worship God in this place. And that's my burden. It's been my burden this week. It says way more than I want to hear about how we see Him and how we love Him in this place. It says much more than I want to hear. You know that great text in Malachi? Oh, I love Malachi. And they were bringing, you know, the people were just bringing leftovers, man. They were bringing the lame offerings and the blind sheep. And they were just bringing trash to God. And what does God say? I am a great king. Why are you bringing me your leftovers? 
Friends, I don't, I don't know if we understand He is a great King. And He calls His people to honor Him in the finances and the wealth that He has given to us. There's a reason that 16 of Christ's 38 parables speak about wealth and money. There's a reason that Jesus taught more about wealth and money than heaven and hell combined. There's a reason, as one theologian said, that 15% of everything uh, Jesus said had to do with wealth and money. There's a reason that the Bible contains 2,000 references to wealth and money, twice as many as to faith and prayer. You know why God gives so much ink to money? Because He knows it's not about money. It's about Him. It's always about Him. The way you uh, think about your money, the way you, you, you spend it, the way you save it, the way you invest it, and certainly the way you give it is a reflection of how you see God. It's nothing less than that. It's nothing less than that. And this is, this is what God... It, this is why He gives so much ink. Because money has a way of getting in every one of our hearts. And, and we want to hold on to it. And we, and we want it to be our security. And we get, and we get covetous. And, and we get stingy with it. But this is not how it's supposed to be with God's children. Luke chapter 12. It's not how it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be rich in the things of the world. We're supposed to be rich in what? The things of God. This is what He's called us to do and to be. Friends, it's not about the cash flow. It's about our own hearts. And this is the point I want to make tonight. This is the burden that I have. If we were really seeing Him like Isaiah saw Him, if we were really seeing Him like the Old Testament Jews were seeing Him, if we were really seeing Him accurately, Cash flow would not be a problem. We would see Him as our God and our King and we would bring an offering worthy. We would bring an offering worthy of our God and King. And I want to make a confession to you. I have been a poor pastor in this regard. Uh, I have not done a good job of teaching you about these things. Uh, I look to God and I, I look right past you to God, and I think that's healthy for a pastor to do that, but I know that when God brings the offering, He's going to bring it through you. And I've not taught you well. I've not made a point of it. I counted it up. I've been here 215, no, 214 Sundays. I've preached on it six times. That's not enough. It's not enough. And I, I'm going to repent, as I told the morning service. I'm going to repent of my error in not exhorting you and communicating to you the commands of God with respect to our giving and our worship of Him in our giving. Brothers and sisters, to be miserly with God is a great loss. It is a great loss for you individually and it is a great loss for this church. The loss is incalculable to you. God's Word is replete with promises. Give. And what does He say? He says to His people, Give! And what does He say? You know what He says. Give! And I'll give to you. And when we get miserly with God, 
We're cutting off the blessing of God from ourselves. And this is why I apologize to you. I've not taught you well. This is my error as your pastor. And I've not exhorted you as I should. And I've not laid out the promises out before you like I should. So that you can't wait to give an offering to God in this place. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. For the true Christian. As I looked at the numbers. As I looked at the numbers. You know, uh, you know the, the old axiom in the States is that 20% of the people will give 80% of the money. And uh, as I looked at that, I thought, well, we're, yeah, we're about average. We're about average. But then my next thought was, if we're only going to be average Christians in this place, we're not going to last very long. Average Christians can't make it here. You've got to have Christians who love God. You've got to have Christians who love Him so much they can't help but give liberally even out of their poverty. We ain't going to make it being average. It's not going to happen. We've got to be extraordinary Christians. We've got to be willing to obey God extravagantly. We've got to be willing to obey God extravagantly. So I, I've got a challenge for everybody in this room. Okay? Because God's teaching about money, it's for every one of us. And I told the morning congregation, obviously, I've preached on this six times in 214 sermons. Obviously. I don't like preaching about money. I have a natural aversion to it. It is so abused in the sec it's so abused in the what it's called the church at large. You see it on TV and you see all these guys hyping it all the time, and I hate that. It makes it look like the gospel's for sale. And I hate that with a passion. But listen, friend, this is God's Word. And He's got something to say to you. And He's got something to say to me about how we're supposed to honor Him in our finances. So as your pastor, the first thing I want to say is I love every one of you. And if, I, if it sounds like I'm being hard on you, uh, I'm just trying to convey the Word of God. I'm trying to let you know where we are as a church. You need to know as the body of Christ where we are. And as I told the morning congregation, we'll start publishing it every month. You're going to see. You're going to see what the budget, what the budget is and what the receipts are. And you're going to see where we are. And that's my fault. I've never made it public. It's my fault. The board knows it, but it's my fault. And I take full responsibility for not being a good pastor in this regard. But I love you. I don't care whether you give a penny or not. But because I love you, I'm going to tell you, you better be giving your pennies. Because this is the Word of God. And you're cutting yourself off from the blessing of God. So I want to challenge you. If you don't bring an offering to the Lord in this place, or you give irregularly or sparingly, I am going to challenge you to go home and talk to the Lord about that. And if you need some Scripture references for me to give to you... No, I'm not just aimlessly wandering off. Listen, I just read this great book. It's The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Has anybody read it? Okay, it'll rock your world. I'm going to buy one for everybody in the church. Okay? It'll rock your world. Friends, you're cutting yourself off from the blessing of God. You are. So what I want you to do is, if, if, you, if you're not a giver, I want you to go home and I want you to talk to God about it. I want you to go home and ask God what He thinks about it. And to those of you who give to the Lord in this place, uh, who give even give... Uh, 
systematically and, and in a substantial way, what I want to say to you is if you're hung up on the Old Testament law, I want to say to you, you need to get unhinged. Because, uh, you know, a lot of Christians these days, they think, well, I give a tithe and I'm done. Listen, friend, if you want to, if you want to give, do law giving, what you need to do, how many, how many tithes did the Old Testament Jew pay? Does anybody in here know? Three. So if you want to, if you want to do law giving, we'll receive your three tithes. Okay? I'd be happy to receive them. But what I want to say to you is, we're not called to law giving in the New Testament. We're called to give, what does it say? We're called to be rich toward God. We're called to give out of our poverty if necessary. Oh yes, Christ says, sacrifice for the cause of Christ. We've got to be like those crazy Macedonians. We've got to be like them. We've got to be like them. So I want to say, may God forgive us. May God forgive me first and foremost for not being a, a, a good pastor to you not teaching you uh, correctly about these things. May God forgive us that we have not honored Him as the great King that He is, the great Sovereign, the great God, uh, that we've not acknowledged in our money and our offerings the infinite value and worth that He possesses. May God forgive us. And may God grant us stirred hearts, moved hearts, willing hearts, that we may give sacrificially to Him in this place. Because friends, <laughs> if we don't, we're done. We're done. Because right now, today, we're living on the faithfulness of those who came before. And that's not a healthy sign for a church. That's not a healthy sign for any church. And I want to say one more thing to you, and I'm, and I'm finished. Um, often people say to me, Jim, I'm just so glad you're here. I'm so glad you and Karen are here. I'm so glad the church is here. And I, and I love to hear that. We're thankful to hear that. We hear it a lot. But friends, ICM is here because God called a few people who were willing to take a risk on Him and a few people who were willing to give sacrificially. That's why ICM is here today. And if we don't continue to live like that in this body, we will not be here tomorrow. We will not be here. So I want to challenge you, body of Christ. Beloved, I want to challenge you. Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. I repent as your pastor. I will no longer neglect these teachings. Uh, as much as I am averse to preaching about money, uh, I understand from God's Word that it's important that the body of Christ understand. It's important that the body of Christ understand. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent as your pastor. And I want to ask you to go home and be with God. And you guys talk about it. You guys talk about it. You go, you go home and talk about it, what it means to be part of the body of Christ. What it means to honor Him in our in our tithes, and in our offerings. Let's pray together.
Lord God, I ask for Your forgiveness. I am not a good pastor in so many ways. And I have let the body down in this way and I ask, Father, that You forgive me. I ask that You forgive us as a people. Father, for those of us in here that have not honored You as we ought, You are a great King. Forgive us, Father, when we've only given You what's left over, when we've only given You what we can spare, when we've put no more thought in it than that. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Lord, may we learn how to be systematic givers. May we learn how to be substantial givers. May we learn how to be hilarious givers. May we learn to sow bountifully. Father, may, may we prepare our field for the rain. We're praying for a God-sent revival, but we're not, giving like, we're not giving like we expect it. Lord God, forgive us. May we open our, our hearts to You and to all that You want to do here. It's not about us. It's about what You want to do here. Bring Your great conviction upon us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and teach us about these things. And may we be willing to repent. May we be willing to confess our sin in this regard. And Father, may we begin to claim Your promise. Those manifold promises in the Word of God. Give, and I'll blow you away with blessing. May we begin to claim that and live that as a church and as individuals. We praise You, beautiful Lord, our great King, our mighty Sovereign. Thank You for this message. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God forever and ever be to our God forever